Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. that I'm a little sick right now so if I sound like I'm dying that's probably why. Um, So my name is Arena and I moved here from California this um, summer and I actually found LifePoint because of Aria. We when I moved here it's kind of a weird story but I had to redo my driver's education and that was like 30 hours of classes and I ended up next sitting next to Aria one day and (laughs) I was like Aria, do you need help with your Japanese homework? Because she was doing her Japanese homework in driver's ed. And that's kind of why I ended up here. And it's one of the best, I think, decisions for me in my life to decide to come to LifePoint. So this community has just been so welcoming to me. And even though I've only been here for a short time, I haven't felt like I belonged like this in my entire life. Um, Like anyone else, I've gone through rough periods in my life, especially my junior year. Um, There were so many distractions in my life that told me that they were more important than God. Um, The academic and social pressures were so high at my school in California, and I started distancing distancing myself from others and from God. Between challenging classes at school, work, running on track, and volunteering, I had no time left for anything. It was to the point where I would bring my schoolwork to church in order to study in the cafe while simultaneously listening to the sermon. My social situation fell apart. My body was suffering from long hours of running, studying, and no sleep, and I started to push God away. Junior year was so hard for me, and I think the number one reason, I kept on saying that it was, I kept on blaming it on school and on my relationship with others, and it was actually my relationship with God that was making it hard for me. Um, thinking back on these times, letting God into my heart would have made life so much easier. Um, When Sam asked us at camp what was on the throne of our hearts, it hit me immensely hard that even though I grew up a Christian that went to church, tried to treat others with respect and prayed every night, something different was sitting on my throne. The desire to be accepted and to succeed meant so much to me that I went to extreme measures in order to feel it. I compared myself to those around me and questioned my worth, even though I knew that I was made in God's image. I constantly um, looked down on myself and compared myself to others. This year, I have finally been able to become more confident with my situation and confident in myself, rather than comparing myself to others. I know that God loves me and Jesus died for me so that I can continually sin and yet still be forgiven. Talking with my small group made me realize the beauty of a community where everyone aims to live their lives for God. I'm so thankful for how they gave me, gave my confusing times clarity and made me feel so worthy and accepted. We all make mistakes and we all have hard times, but each and every one of us are made new. We're all at different points in our life with new challenges lying ahead of us. I know as seniors, we all feel excitement and confusion at, um, at what's to come and what we're leaving behind. I gained something so beautiful at winter camp through worship, Sam's words and the quality time I spent with my small group. I realize that it's not all things new when moving to a new state, when you leave behind old relationships and create new ones. 
Everything won't be new when I go to college. We can try to act different. We can change how we look. The world around us can be different, but we aren't made new. All things are truly new when we decide to let Jesus into our hearts and into our thrones. This winter camp was my very first, and I'm so grateful that I decided to go because it truly changed my life. Thank you. Hey, Arena, stay up here for a moment. Yeah. Hey, can we thank Arena for sharing? That's, that's bold, huh? Hey, stay here. Stay here, Arena. Arena, Arena. Here, come on. We're going to pray for you. And um, man, we, this is... This is important, right? One of our values here is authentic community. And so when we can come up, when we have students come up and can share what God is doing in their life and just kind of be transparent and to have a community that listens, right, and accepts that, that's beautiful, right? So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much, Father, for Arena and for the many stories in this room, Lord. Thank you, Father, that you have brought her um, not just into this family, this community, but, Lord, into your family. God, you have saved her. You've redeemed her. You've made her brand new, Lord. And so, God, as we, as we hear her story, Lord, we recognize that you're the main character. God, we realize that you have um, worked powerfully. And as we see that in her life, God, our, our response is not, wow, Arena is cool. We go, wow, God, you are cool. God, you are awesome. And thank you for what you're doing, Lord. Continue to work in students' lives, God. Continue to show yourself real as you transform them, Lord, as you transform their hearts and, and their whole lives, Lord. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, thanks, Serena. Thank you. Yeah, like I said, this is who we are. This is what we do. We come and we share stories. And the reality is every single person in this room has a story, right? Every single one of you in this room, you have a story. And perhaps I've heard it, perhaps, perhaps your, your small group has heard it, perhaps you've shared your story with a leader, but we all have a story. And so here at Citizens, especially if you're new, I want you to understand this. Here at Citizens, we're a group of students that are learning that our stories are actually part of a bigger story, right? Every single person has a story, but the reality is, what, the, the reason why we're here in this room is because all of our stories are actually part of a much bigger story. And it's the story of what God is doing in the world. God is doing something in the world. And so today, on this theme of stories, right, as Arena shared beautifully what God is doing in her life, I want to tell you guys a story. I want to tell you for the next few minutes a story that some people, many people, refer to as the Old Testament. And so I'm going to tell you a story. It's a very old story. It's a tale as old as time. And it begins all the way back in the very first pages. Bro, where's your hairband? You need to put your hairband on. That is so distracting. I thought Tarzan was on the front row. I'm sorry, dude. Just humor me, please. Man bun it or something. But I just won't look. All right. Man, speaking of the first man ever, right? So we open up our Bible and the very first pages, the beginning of the entire story, page one, word one, we come and we find... The creation. And we find in, the, in, in, the, in, in a world that, are at, that is asking these deep questions, such as where do we come from and what's our existence and why and who and where and when and what, the Bible comes and delivers an origin story. And we see in this creation account, we see in this creation account that the first character, the character in all of history, in the entire universe, is the creator. And so the creator, he comes in and he creates 
mankind. He creates humanity. And we see in this origin story some of the most fundamental questions answered. Some of the biggest questions that we are asking, that, that we've been asking for centuries, for millennia, are answered. Who? God. Why? Why do we exist? And it reveals we exist because we were created to live with God and for God. And so we find this creation account, and within three pages, depending on your Bible, maybe two pages, but within the first few narratives of the story, it goes horribly wrong. And we find that God's creation has fallen. The humans that God created to live with him and for him, they fall. They sin. They reject God. And they say, you know what? I'm going to do me, right? And instead of living for God, they say, I'm going to live for myself. And we see that humanity has gotten themselves into a mess. And students, you want to know something about the author of the story? You want to know something pretty cool about the main character? He doesn't leave it a mess, right? I walk into my room sometimes, right, and my wife is like, Sam, you got to clean up your closet. You gotta, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And I start throwing more clothes because I'm going to get to it anyway on Saturday. And by the time Saturday comes, I look at the mess, and I'm just like, just close the door, right? Just move on. Honey, do you have a match? Why? Because I need to burn down the closet, right? It's just so messy that I'm like, I'm moving on from this. And yet God, he looks at the mess, and we see his character because when he looks at sin, when he looks at a mess, he says, I'm going to fix it. And he promises, I will fix it. I'm going to send someone who will fix this. And so we move on, right? And we move on with the narrative, and we see the next major part of our story. Do you notice how when Arena or when uh, the people in the, in the previous weeks, when the students shared their story, notice how they almost went from like highlight to highlight, right? Kind of just gave you the major points, right? We're going to do that here. So let's move to the next major point. And we see that after God promised to fix it, he comes and reveals himself to a dude named Abraham, right? Abraham, Abram turned to Abraham. And he comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I got to tell you something. And Abraham's like, yes, God? And he says, I'm going to fix the world. Why, why, why are you telling me this, God? What, why, are you, why are you telling me this? And he says, well, because I'm going to use you. And I'm going, to, I'm going to make a family out of you. Abraham, I'm going to give you offspring. I'm going to make a family. I'm going to make a huge family, a nation. And they will be my people, and I will be their God. And Aaron's like, wow, okay. So he comes to Abraham, and Abraham, he has a family, and the family grows and the family grows, and the family grows, and this family, this they become a, like an ethnicity, right? This people group is so big, and they're living in Egypt, right? And so check it out, Pharaoh, right? He's like up there, he's chilling, he's like, yo, what's up? And, and he sees this large group of people, and he says, they're kind of scary, right? Like imagine like you look out your window, and like on the front port, on the front patio, or on your, your grass yard, what is that called? A yard, yes. On the front yard, there's like, you know, like a sixth grader, and you're like, oh, that's cute, right? And then the next day, there's like 26th graders. And then the next day, there's like 106. And you're like, all right, I'm concerned, right? <laughs> I think they will overrun my house, right? So Pharaoh looks, and Abraham's family has become so big that he decides 
to just make them slaves, right? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, baby, let my people go, right? That's where it's from, the Exodus, right? And so Abraham's family, they're enslaved, and the Israelites are now slaves to the Egyptians. Let's keep going with the story. That's kind of a bummer. God, I thought that was your family. What happened? Well, God sends a man. Anybody know what that man's name is? Sends Moses, right? And we see Moses comes in, and he rescues the Israelites out of, the, out of Egypt. He rescues them. He takes them into the desert, and God and his people have a DTR. God and his people have a moment where he's going to define the relationship. And he reveals himself to this huge family on a place called Sinai. It's a mountain, right? And God is there on the mountain, and they're there, and they're hearing the voice of God, and they're trembling, and Moses is acting as a mediator, and God says, hey, hey guys, but much louder and more ominous, right? Hey guys, I told your ancestor, Abraham, that I was going to make a family, and that's you. And so we're going to make a covenant. We're going to be in relationship. And they're just like, what? wait, who can be in relationship with God? What is this? And God says, I'm going to be in relationship with you. And the, D the DTR here, the type of relationship is going to be called a covenant. Everyone say covenant. They make a covenant. And God says, here are the ways that you will walk in this relationship, right? You will, and he lays it out for them. Ten commandments are like one of the highlights of that conversation. And then God says, and now here's what I'm going to do for you. And he talks about his faithfulness. And he talks about how he will bless their obedience, but how he will also punish their disobedience. And so you, do you see it here? There's this relationship. We've arrived. God is going to be the king of his people. Yes! Except the next part of the story. And we see that Israel, they just... They, they kind of don't really like the idea of being led by an invisible God, <laughs> you know? You look around, and all the nations, right, they have all these buff kings, and they're going out to battle, and every other nation, whenever they would go to war, their king is out there on a horse, and they're like, but we don't really got one of those kings, but we got God, right? And they just, and they started to sin in their heart. Do you see that? And they started to go, God, we rather have a human king. We want to be like the other nations. And so in their sin, they tell God, right? They just had a DTR. And they tell God, uh, would you mind possibly, maybe even just a little bit, maybe possibly giving us a king? And they come and they ask for a king. <laughs> if God tells you that he will be your God and he will be your king, and you go, that's nice, but um, <clears throat> what about that guy? You see the problem here? And so they want to choose a king, and it's hilarious when you look at the kind of king that they chose, because they chose a king that they thought would rock it, right? And so they grab a, grab a guy who's taller than everyone else, he's buff, he's a warrior, and they choose this dude named Saul, right? And Saul doesn't work out, Saul ends up being a horrible king, and so God, instead of, instead of washing his hands, instead of going, see, you made this mess, God, remember, this is who he is, we're learning about God's story, he's merciful. And he says, I'll give you a king that looks like me. And he gives him, instead of Saul here, we get King David, right? And this is awesome. King David, the climax of the kingdom. So they're a people, they got a land, they're a nation, they have a godly king. 
and then it's kind of all downhill from there. Because after David comes Solomon, and after him, there's more kings, and they split up in different lines. And the name of the game, through this entire period of the kings, they just kind of keep doing this. They sin, they become corrupt, and God warns them through the prophets. Stop it. Hey, guys, that's not the way that you operate in, my, in a relationship with me. Guys, that's not, hey! Oh, oh, God, we're sorry, we're sorry. All right, all right, all right, God. DTR, that's right, yeah, all right, God, we live for you. What about those gods? And God, hey, we're warning you, I'm warning you. Hey, come back to me, come back to me. Okay, 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 oh, we're coming back, we're coming back. And they just continued this cycle. Sound familiar, <laughs> right? All right, God, this time I'm really going to, what about those gods? God, I'm really going to, ooh, look at those ladies. Oh, wait, God, God, oh, wait. And before you know it, they're intermarrying, they're, they're doing idolatry, and they just go crazy, and enough is enough. And perhaps one of the biggest, most important highlights of the entire Old Testament comes to where even though the prophets are warning them, even though the prophets of God are saying, people, stop. People, repent. Israel, stop. They continue to become corrupt. They continue to sin. And God says, boom, it's time for judgment. And he sends them into exile. Everybody say exile. Dude, are, you, are, are you guys watching this story? Are you seeing the story? And so God takes an ungodly nation. He goes and grabs this nation known as Babylon, right? You may have heard of them, Nebuchadnezzar, right? You learn about this in your history class. He goes and, and, this, and this foreign nation, this pagan nation, he uses them as like a tool in his hand to judge his people. And so the Babylonians, they come over to Israel and they destroy Israel their temple, right? That's like the center of their life, right? Like you think church is pretty important. The temple, right? The, that, that was everything. And they destroy the temple that the kings built. They come and they take all the Israelites and they chain them up in shackles and they march them thousands of miles east and relocate them to the land of Babylon. Why would they do that? Well, think about it. If you're going to take over a nation, there may be like a little, like think of like a covert guerrilla kind of resurgence, you know what I'm saying? If I'm going to take over citizens, and then I just like, now you guys sit there. I own you now. Then you guys start whispering in the seats. Hey, we can take this guy. Maybe we can fight. Maybe we can fight back. So they go, you know what? We're not going to have any of that. Hey, you, you, you. And they take like two-thirds of the people, and they go, you're coming with me. And they take you to a different room. You get it? It's crazy. you got to know your Bible. This is epic, right? But again, we know what God is like. And so we see the story that even as God is telling them, you're going to be judged, this is it. You've done it. He still, every time, every time he's talking about judgment, he ends on a note that says, but I still preserve you. I'm not going to wipe you out from the face of the earth because I made a promise to Abraham. Hey, you're going to be judged now. I'm sending you into exile, but, but I'm still going to be faithful even though you were faithless. And he still gives him this glimmer of hope. And so here they are in exile, right? Learning their lesson. 70 years goes by. The people who used to live in the promised land, they start dying off. And the little kids, all like your age, you got like middle school and high school, and they're like, I remember when we used to live in, in the promised land, the glory days. Man, remember, we used to live in God's land. And man, that was, that was where we were meant to be. And, and now, now we don't live there. And then you guys become adults, and you're like old people. And you get the word. You're going back. The Persians, who now are in control of this area, they go, hey, Israel, do you want to go back to your homeland? free to go. Whoa. 
we can go back. And so now the exile is over, right? And they come back here, and the final highlight of the Old Testament here, they go back and they rebuild the temple. What? Temple. And you see the acronym yet for the Old Testament? It's casket, right? You can tell the entire Old Testament with one word, casket. It's casket. And so they come back from the exile, and they rebuild the temple that was destroyed. The end, right? They're back. Obviously, they learned their lesson, right? I mean, wouldn't you have learned your lesson for seven years? They learned their lesson. They're back. And, you know, they just, they're ready for the glory days. They come back in. They're like, oh, here we go. We're going to rebuild the temple. We're going we're gonna to make it just like the old days, just as if the exile never happened. And they come back. And people are just as sinful as ever. They had such high hopes, and they come back at the climax of the story here, and they realize not much has changed. The exile has done little to change these people. And we realize that the real problem of this entire situation, the real problem, the reason why they've come back in the same condition is because really sin was stuck in their hearts. Enter Malachi. Enter Malachi. And this guy walks onto the scene, right? And God is using him as a prophet. And we're going to be in the book of Malachi, which we'll get to in a moment. But this guy Malachi comes. And through Malachi, God looks at these people who still have sin in their heart, and he exposes their corruption. And we're going to see in the book, there's basically like six conversations. The entire book, I'm going to post a video tonight on Facebook. You can check it out. The entire book is organized into these six conversations where God is like, guys, you're still bum, 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 And they're going, bum, 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 And he's like, let me tell you, right? And they're just hard. And he's like, guys, look, you're still doing it right now. Look. And they're like, what the blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, let me tell you. Guys, look, you're still this. What? And they're just hard-hearted. And he exposes their sin. And what we find is all of these people here have gone through the motions. You ever go through the motions? You know what it's like when you're going through the motions? You're doing it all, and what's going on in here? Nothing. And so they built the temple, and they're still doing these sacrifices, right? And they're still going through the motions. But you can tell, and friends, this is what we learn from the book of Malachi, that your heart is reflected in your hands, all right? Your heart is always reflected in your hands. And so we see the things that are in their hands, right? And they come, and, and they bring these offerings in their hands, and yet we can see their attitudes. And they go, dude, you're half-hearting it. You don't, you don't actually have any reverence for God. Your attitude toward God is being reflected in the way that you're going about your business here. And so they come, and, and Malachi, he's exposing this, and he calls them out. And he says, look at the way that you're doing your worship. Look at the way that you're doing your offerings. Look at the way that you're handling your money. Look at the way that you're handling your marriages. Look at the way that you're handling divorce. Look at the way that you're handling your theology. Look at the way that you're handling... Fill it in. He says, all of that is exposing your heart. Everything they were doing 
was exposing their lack of reverence for God. And students, that is a major problem in Malachi because we learn that God wants reverence in our hearts, not just offerings in our hands. Citizens, God wants reverence in your hearts, not just offerings in your hands. See, the problem with these people that, that are bringing these things, we learn that God is not interested in a group of students. He's not interested in a group of people who come and they bring their stuff to God and they go, here you go, God. What? Is that not enough? God, is that, is that really not enough? What more do you want, God? Get off my back. I did what you said. Did you really? You ever, like, get into a fight with your mom's? And like your, your, your main argument was, but I did what you said, right? Did you really do what they, she said, right? Your attitude's not there, right? And so we see as these people are just going through the motions, as they're doing these things that, that they're just lacking in reverence for God, Malachi comes and he exposes their hearts. Now we learn from the book of Malachi that the real problem with this the real problem with this whole mess and this whole downward cycle, the real problem with, with these people, the real problem with you in the seats is your heart. Your heart is broken. And so as we go through the book of Malachi, it, it's almost like the book creates this longing in us. Like you read the pages and warning, this road trip is painful, right? Rated M for mature. Because <laughs> you go through this book and you're just like, it creates this longing in you of God, fix my heart. <laughs> You read the book of Malachi and you go, God, what? Like, we're so broken in our hearts. We have no reverence in our hearts. And the book of Malachi, students, it sets us up. It sets us up. Because you open the book of Malachi, and as it creates that longing inside of us that says, God, I need a new heart, you turn the page. It sets us up to turn the page. And as we turn the page, we come to the book of Matthew and we see this weird family tree. And we go, why are you giving us a family tree? Oh, look who comes at the end of the family tree. The one who was promised from the very beginning who would fix it. And we leave the book of Malachi with this longing for God to fix our hearts. And then we turn the page and we find that one has come who would make all things new, especially our hearts. And we learn that Jesus Christ would come as the solution to the book of Malachi. Jesus Christ would come to fix our hearts. Because students, your hearts need to be fixed. Because God wants reverence in your hearts, not just offerings in your hands. You learn that God is building a people. God is creating a community of students who have reverence in their heart for God. God is creating a community of students who in their heart, their attitude toward God is one of obedience and honoring. We see this phrase, and this is where the title comes from. God is creating a community of students who fear the name of the Lord. And so for the next eight weeks, students, we're going to go on a journey. Are you with me? You guys want to do it? For the next eight weeks, we're going to dive in. We're going to zoom in right here, and we're going to see what Malachi has to say to these people with broken hearts. And we're going to see that God is creating a community of people. He's creating a family who fear the name of Yahweh.
And so we're going to begin a book study called Malachi, Fear the Name. And so for the next several weeks, and we're going to respond here, and we're going to, I'm going to instruct you how we respond as the band comes. But for the next several weeks, I want you guys to take this and slip it into your Bible, okay? This is what I call a cheat sheet. It's a sheet that you use to cheat. I, I don't know where I came up with it. It was brilliant. But, um, yeah, this, this cheat sheet, every time we go to a new passage, you can use this to orient yourself. And you go, where am I at in the story? You can use it as you go home. I encourage you. We, we post the sermons online, okay? You can listen to them throughout the week. You can read ahead. You can read your Bibles. And here's what I'm proposing to you, okay? Eyes up here. Check it out. Here's what I'm proposing. We have two options, okay? I'm going to let you decide. We can come here together every Wednesday. You guys can sit back, kick your feet up, and just let me go to town, right? And I could just teach you, and I like to do that. I like to talk, and poor you guys, you can be subjected to that. Or we can do a second option. Everybody lean forward in your chair right now. We can do this. We can lean into the Bible together. We can lean into the Word of God right here. We can lean into the Word of God. And we could say as a community, God, speak to us, right? You can kick it back. You can sit back and you can be like, yeah, Sam, just go to town. Or we can lean in, lean forward, right? And you could say, I want to know what God's word has to say to me. 2 Timothy 3.16, if you're in the academy, you guys are memorizing this, right? All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, reproofing, correcting, and for training in righteousness. The book of Malachi can change our community. And students, in eight weeks, we will be changed, if you're reading your word, if you're paying attention to the sermons, if you're taking notes, if you're tuned in here and you're listening prayerfully, I believe that by the time we get to the end of these eight or nine weeks, you'll be changed, will be changed, and that we will be a community of students who fear the name. We'll be a community of students who honor the name of Yahweh. We'll be a community of students who have deep reverence and honor and respect and, and a healthy fear of the Lord. Do you guys want that? Do you guys want that for real? This is the way that God shapes us, students. This is the way that God shapes you individually, and this is the way that God shapes us as a community. And so if you're new with us, and you're like, dude, what is going on here? I thought we just ate cotton candy and played games. Not really, man. We're, we love Jesus, right? Right, students? We love Jesus. We believe in him. He's our savior, and he's making us look more like him every day. Every day. Every day.